Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. I would have never designed that on, at my computer, like during design. It's something that is based on the conditions of the time where you have to solve an unusual problem and coming up with the best solution. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. My guest today is Nicole Blair, owner of Nicole Blair LLC in Austin, Texas. Nicole is an architect and general contractor working in Austin, the city where she was born and raised. Her practice focuses on residential, small commercial, and public art building projects. Nicole's design approach is client and context-driven, striving to find novel solutions that are closely tailored to her client's needs and personal style. In 2019, El Decor named Nicole one of the greatest living architects in the world alongside several Pritzker Prize winners. Her projects have received numerous design awards, local to international, and her work has been published in books, magazines, and ad campaigns worldwide. She gained early work experience in the New York City offices of Robert A.M. Stern and Peter Eisenman Architects and obtained a Bachelor of Science in Textiles and Apparel from Cornell and a Master of Architecture from Rice. The really cool project we are going to talk about today is The Hive, located in central East Austin, Texas. With many states across the country experiencing housing affordability issues, states and cities have instituted Accessory Dwelling Unit, or ADU, legislation to open the door and spur the construction of the units. From a homeowner's perspective, there are various reasons and benefits to add ADUs to their property. I mean, I think there's so many reasons why people want to build ADUs. It becomes a secondary, can be a secondary source of 
income from for them, especially in Austin. Unfortunately, property taxes are pretty high. And so a lot of people I know in Austin that want to stay central, that want to stay closer to down, downtown, are considering ADUs to add density and for added income on their property because the land development code in Austin doesn't allow for a lot else on a single family lot. And there are a lot of single family neighborhoods in central Austin. So it's become a way that homeowners can add density. It's also a way that families can age in place. People want a spot for their mother or father to come back and live close by, or maybe they have a child who's in college and it can be a more affordable location for them to live closer to home than to pay for offsite housing. I think, you know, a city like Austin is kind of, it's growing so fast and it's eager to densify. A lot of people want to live downtown and there's a real demand for that. And building an ADU is one of the only ways that currently single family properties are able to start densifying. Nicole was approached by her client who was considering this opportunity for their 6,500 square foot residential property. With grand goals, but unforeseen challenges due to site constraints, they embarked on an incredible journey to bring this extraordinary hive project to life. The owners are in film and they were living in the main house, but because of their profession, they were off site, on location for eight or 10 months out of the year, and the main house was empty. And so they wanted to take advantage of renting that house out, but they still wanted use of the property for two to three months a year. And so they contacted me to design an ADU for them so that they could stay on property and have a place a couple of months out of the year, but still rent out the main house. So when they contacted me, they I feel like they had a fairly large program in mind. They wanted a one bedroom. They wanted a large kitchen, like kind of a cook's kitchen. They wanted laundry. They wanted bike storage. They wanted an outdoor shower. They wanted an office space. So we didn't initially start out with the idea of it being a smaller footprint. But after I did some of the pre-design work and started looking at their existing conditions. There was an angled utility easement that ran through the back of the property. And their main house bungalow had a large wraparound porch in the back. And so after I had kind of taken into consideration the parking and the impervious cover and all of these setbacks, in the city of Austin guidelines, we weren't able to have a footprint larger than 320 square feet. So I kind of, so kind of starting from that point, knowing all of the spaces that they wanted, I had to try to think about like, how am I going to fit all of this program in a 320 square foot footprint and still give them something that feels like a place that feels like home for them. So once I started looking at it a little bit more closely, I had the idea to lean some of the walls away from that smaller foundation. And once you put a stair to code, you're automatically pushed further away from that point. So I thought, why don't we lean the walls? Why don't we use the angle of the utility easement 
and try to fit all of these things in as economically as possible, keeping in mind that they obviously wanted it to still feel like a much larger space. You have to see the photos of this remarkable design. Remember the diagram of the Vitruvian man with outstretched arms? His range of motion is circular, the widest at the shoulder height, the narrowest at the ceiling and floor. This observation coupled with close examination of the actions performed in each space, sitting, sleeping, standing, informs the shape of the hive and creates spaces that feel both intimate and grand. The hive's design draws heavily from the directive to use recycled materials, as well as inspiration from Dutch and Japanese precedents that find creative solutions when faced with spatial constraints. One of the things I was looking at first was their existing house, and the existing house had that wraparound porch addition that I was telling you about, and that had been done years prior by another designer, a friend of theirs, and it had a bit of a Japanese sensibility to it. And it was also constructed with a lot of reused, recycled materials. One of the goals of the client was to re to incorporate some recycled materials in the project. So in the course of design, the owner called me and she was replacing the metal roof of the main house. And when they took the metal roof off, it turned out they had found a layer of shingles underneath the roof. And she asked, she called and sent me some photos of these and asked if we could reuse them in the project. So I started looking at precedents with cedar shakes and shingles and was wondering if we could use it as a siding material. The cedar shingles that were on the main house didn't end up being durable enough or there weren't quite enough of them for the entire structure. So I started calling around to people that I knew in the, in the community and a roofer that I had been working with on another project mentioned that he had taken some cedar shakes off of a project, off of a house, maybe 20 years prior and basically said he had thought of them as kindling at this point and offered them to the project. The shakes were several times larger than the shingles that came off of the original bungalow, and they ended up being a perfect material for the, for the roof and siding to kind of wrap the exterior. The entry, once envisioned as the main door facing the yard, evolved into an artful dance of a covered porch, an outdoor shower, and a facade that would glow like a lantern at night. So it was important to, to the owner to have an entry that was hidden. I always think of the main entry as the entry on that window wall that opens out to the, to the neighboring yard that you see right on approach. But the owner, it was important to her for the entry to be a little more private. So she sees the main entry as the door that's past the building and around the corner. So because she saw that as the main entry, I also wanted that to be covered. So one of the nice things about the leaning wall is that kind of creates a covered porch on that side. And she also wanted an outdoor shower. So that porch also, because it was more private, became a, like the perfect spot in my mind also for that outdoor shower. So on approach, you can see it as a covered porch, but also doubles as a shower. And the shingles in that portion, I tried to separate them and create a little bit of 
a gap for light and for air to pass through in that outdoor shower area. And I was hoping that when the light, and there's a light in that space, when it, when it's on, when you're in the yard, it was my intention for that space to kind of glow like a lantern. The interior reveals a thoughtfully designed space where every single inch served a purpose. For budgetary reasons, all of the cabinet bases are Ikea, but we used a custom front. It's a longleaf pine, which gives the space a lot of warmth. We were able to take advantage of using the longleaf pine during construction because the subcontractor that was building them was working on another project nearby where longleaf pine on the walls was coming out and he had it as a building, an extra building material and asked us if we wanted to utilize it for the cabinet fronts. I thought it was a perfect opportunity. The client loved the product. And so we incorporated it not only in the kitchen and on a tall set of cabinetry downstairs, there was enough material that it extends up and creates like a a desk, an office space on the landing of the stair above, and even enough material for the fronts of a built-in bed in the bedroom and a small cabinet in the bathroom. Interior material choices echoed the creative use of recycled materials that defined the hive, both stylistically and functionally. The material has a really nice quality that coordinates with the cedar shakes on the exterior. So that was something I really liked about it. And then we were able to find another local material from Delta Millworks, a Shishugi Vaughn. It was like a black charred wood. And they had some material that was durable enough for use as a floor. And the darker lines in the longleaf pine picked up so nicely with the Shishugi Vaughn that we used that for the staircase, and we had enough left over to do the top of a, the desk area and a small countertop in the bedroom as well. And even some extra cutoffs, we ended up making a divider in the closet. So half of the closet in the bedroom is private for the owner all the time. And then the other half, if they want to have guests, they can lock their half and give guests access to the other half of the closet. So it became a divider internally. The kitchen, though confined by space limitations, flourished behind design ingenuity. Well, I think the leaning walls help a lot. So I think underneath the cabinets, for most of the cabinets, only a foot of that two foot depth is actually part of the foundation. And then they lean away and we ended up doing a, a downdraft cooktop with a really large window above it. And the downdraft just provided a more open visual space above to be able to see out. And then the countertop wraps around so that you can have cabinetry on one side, but the other side doubles as their dining room table. And then on the long wall, there's two foot deep cabinetry under the taller part of the stair. And then as you ascend across the staircase, there's narrower cabinets that extend across from the stair, but then underneath portions of the stair, you can get two foot sets of drawers below that as well. So we were able to utilize the space beside the stair, but also under the stair for deeper storage. The living room sits directly off the kitchen 
Counteracting the small footprint, the angled walls continued to provide relief and opportunities. And you can see it's not a large space either. It's You can fit a couch, a small coffee table, a couple of chairs, but because that wall behind the couch also leans out, again, the space feels a lot bigger. And you get a little bit of a visual back up to that office space above, which I think also helps expand your view and makes the entire space feel larger, even though it's fairly, it's fairly compact. And that window wall is facing north. So northern light is ideal for kind of indirect soft light. But also the other reason it became a perfect location for that is because of that angled utility easement that's running through the back of the client's property that extends into the neighbor's property. So we always knew that that would remain yard space for them and the neighbor also wouldn't be building in that area. So that window wall will always be able to have a view that's two lots deep, that's unobstructed. So that was also nice because when you're designing an ADU and you're so close to the primary structure, you're looking for a little bit of privacy. Something like that angled utility easement gives you an opportunity to take advantage of a view in a direction that you don't always have. Speaking of windows, the resourcefulness displayed throughout this project was astounding. All of the windows in the space that are casement are fixed. We found actually on Craigslist, there was a house on the coast that had installed them, but then they had to remove them even during construction because they didn't meet hurricane standards. So they were, they're a La Cantina steel window, which is a very high quality window. And because we were reusing them, we were able to get them at a, a fraction of the original price, which fit the client's budget. And then that is what ended up generating the design of that window wall. So we knew we had a particular La Cantina window size that we were working with and a standard door at that point. And then we that kind of set the dimensions and the spacing for figuring out the rest of that window wall space. Creative use of standard materials added unique design elements to this home. He in his career had designed some light fixtures using splitters. So a, a very standard product that you can, you know, find in any hardware store. And just a single socket with splitters and some interesting bulbs can create a pretty fantastic light fixture. So we ended up using those throughout the house. And then like over the dining area, we used some splitters and created like a more dramatic light fixtures over that space. Upstairs, Nicole was able to create a multi-purpose space in addition to the bedroom and bath. At the top of the stairs and the landing, that is kind of a multi-purpose space. The railing doubles as a desk, like a big, along a large L-shaped desk. And also below the desk is a book storage and the owner really likes to listen to records and so record it also fits record storage and right behind the desk at a lower point in the in the ceiling is a laundry closet so the desk also doubles as kind of a folding table as well 
In the bedroom, the width broadens at knee height to fit a queen mattress and is widest at eye level when reading from the bed. But equally, the vaulted space feels spacious when standing, despite limited floor and ceiling area. The bedroom has a pretty small footprint. The owner originally wanted a double bed, but then during construction asked if we could fit a queen. So luckily with the leaning walls, we just made it a little bit higher, added some really deep storage doors underneath and some storage behind and fit a queen bed, which you can sit in and kind of even lean against the walls, against the leaning walls or lean against the back of the bed. And it kind of feels a little bit like a built-in day bed, I would say. And then even though the floor of the bedroom is only about 30 square feet, with the walls leaning out, especially at the height that you're at when you're sitting in bed or standing, I think the space feels much bigger. After the determination and effort to creatively solve the challenging site limitations, the project reached a dead end when high bids threatened its viability. After we had the design, we started bidding it out with contractors and all the the bids were coming in way over budget, more than the client could afford. And so the project got shelved for maybe six or eight months. And then, you know, she really wanted to build it. I really wanted it to get built. So finally, you know, this was the project I decided maybe I should contract it myself because I felt if I could have conversations with subcontractors directly one-on-one and show them what was unusual, but how it is also typical that we could bring those numbers down. And so that's exactly what I did. And I was able to get some better figures and ones that she was willing to agree to. But again, we, at that point, you know, we were assuming we would use Ikea cabinets and we wouldn't spend a lot of money on light fixtures. But what ended up happening over the course of design and construction as we moved further on was, you know, she got more invested in the project. She had some time to save up a little bit of money. And as we moved through the project, because I was the contractor and the architect, we got to make some decisions like let's use longleaf pine or let's like save money and spend even less on light fixtures. So even though it was a big challenge, it ended up being what I think made the project more special in the end. As both the architect and contractor, Nicole was empowered to overcome budgetary obstacles, negotiate with subcontractors and transform unforeseen issues into design features. I really enjoy being on site and talking to the subcontractors and working things out. And you see different conditions in the field than you see two-dimensionally on a computer. So for someone like me or like architects in general that like to problem solve, I think being on site and running into all of those things, challenges that happen every single day, it's like, to me, it's kind of another opportunity to creatively solve a problem that comes up. And actually, when I think about challenges in my career, I would say, for me, the biggest challenges I faced is when I design something and then 
there is a contractor that's building it and I don't get to be a part of that conversation. I don't get to help problem solve. I think those are the situations where that keep me up at night where I'm not a part of the solution. And so, you know, the answer to that is for me to be more involved in the construction process and to take more ownership of that part of the process and to get to take advantage of the opportunities that can come up in construction when you are the person that also understands the design intent better than anyone else at that point. So, but that's not to say there weren't a lot of challenges that came up during the construction process. I could give you a few. So for example, the owner originally wanted a tub, a bathtub in the bathroom until she saw it installed. So we got to the point where it was already installed, even though I had kind of suggested maybe a shower would be better. It was installed, all of the stucco walls were in, and she came to the site and said, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but I think you're right. I don't think the tub works. So we took the tub out and then there's a problem to solve. So we have plumbing, at the end of a wall designed for a tub. And now we need to turn it into a shower. So that was, you know, one of my favorite parts of the project actually is, is how we solved that problem. So I met with a stucco subcontractor who said, the best thing we can do is just redo the stucco on one wall, the smallest wall, the end wall where the window is. And of course our plumbing was on, one of the larger walls. And so I then met with the plumber and we came up with a way to redirect the copper in a way that it looked like a towel bar into the space and then redirected it into that shorter wall where we could install just the shower head on that wall. So then the stucco subcontractor only had to redo that shorter wall. And I think that towel bar is one of my favorite features of the house. And I would have never, I would have never designed that at my computer, like during design. It's something that is based on the conditions of the time where you have to solve an unusual problem and coming up with the best solution. From the Hive Project, Nicole gleaned lessons learned that echo in her subsequent projects. Tailoring the space in three dimensions and looking at the site plan constraints and the client's concerns, taking them very seriously and trying to make sure that you're meeting all of their requirements. I think, I think sometimes it's the constraints that you're given on a project that can lead to the most interesting results and not shying away from trying to solve those in the most creative way possible. I think also, you know, client driven at the hive was the use of recycled materials. And I think in that project, it added a lot of warmth and there's a lot of history to the, to those materials that we got to use. So at the perch at other projects that I'm working on now, more and more, I'm encouraging clients to use found materials, recycled materials, fixtures that they already own, looking for other clues on site for materials and ideas that we can borrow from. I think those are some of the more important lessons that I've taken from the Hive so far. 
The Hive highlights the fusion of creativity, sustainability, problem-solving, and purpose-driven design. Like a well-designed garment, a building is more efficient when tailored to the shape and movement of its inhabitants. Before we close out this episode, I try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. I was curious what advice would Nicole give to those starting on their own ADU journey? Look up what the ADU requirements in your area are specifically, and then I would meet with a building reviewer before you even started the design process, just to get some feedback on what to expect in that area. I also, I mean, just given my own experience, I would say consider a smaller footprint. I think smaller footprints use less materials. They're more energy efficient. You're heating and cooling less area, less space. With a given budget, you can spend more per square foot on making the materials that you use higher quality and nicer. And I think if you consider shaping the space more in three dimensions. I think, again, there's some efficiencies that you can take advantage of with, again, like if you are building space, three-dimensional space where you need it most, but tailoring it back where you don't need it, then you're saving on material costs, you're saving on heating and cooling costs in the long run. And you're allowing the owner to have room for in the future, if they need to add on to the house again or for another programmatic need or more yard space, they're not maxing out all of the possible usable square footage in one time. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nicole. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. I'd hope when people are looking at my work that it might inspire them to think more about the scale of what they're working on and consider if whether or not what they're designing could potentially be smaller. So for example, I once attended a lecture by Stephen Hole, where he was talking about the design of the, I think it's the Chiasma Museum. And he said that after he designed it, they bid the project and it came back 30% over budget. And so what they just, what they decided to do in response to that was just to scale the whole building down 30%. And after they did that, he said, the building scale and how it felt inside actually appealed to him more than the original design. And I think just based on my own experience and scale being something that architects have so much control over, you know, I would hope that like my work might inspire other architects to look at their own work and ask like, could my project be 10% smaller? Could it be 15% smaller? Like, is it right sized? for the project at hand? Are there spaces that, you know, could be eliminated or considered in a different way that would, you know, require less volume, less materials, better overall, I think it's good for the environment. That would be my thought at this point. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.